Thank you for taking the time to speak to Norwegian and the Norwegian audience. Thank you for taking the time, Philip. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's uh, it's fun, and I listen to some of your podcasts, and uh, it's really interesting. You have uh, some great guests, so I'm honored to be part of that list. Well, thank you. A great uh, great deal uh, here, Philip. Thank you. And uh, as you know, I'm Norwegian, so... Um, if my dialect <laughs> is hard to understand, just please let me know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm French, so it's also my dialect. So <laughs> English, English is our Esperanto. The reason I wanted to share your story here, Philip, with Norwegian audience, is that in many ways you have changed how we live our lives. And thanks to you, billions of people share moments of themselves and others on social media. Even more share how much they walk each day, thanks to you, Philip. But uh, before we dive into sleep, that's some of, some of the reason I want to talk to you, because uh, you're now heading into sleep from, from what I can understand. I want to start from the beginning. How is it that a Frenchman ended up in the U.S. and, and they changed our lives? Well, it, it's, you know, like everything else, I was, uh, my background is mathematics, and, and, and I... I got to programming, and in in, in France at the time, uh, my opportunities were really to grow into academics or teach, etc. But I, I was lucky. I wrote some software. Someone wanted to license, and everybody told me that I shouldn't go to the U.S., but I should go to Silicon Valley. So I I actually did move to the U.S. I moved to Silicon Valley, and. <laughs> And and that that was you know it's like you know I felt that that's the place people told me that I should be because I would fit in because I was really interested in digital technology at the time especially software and etc. So um, I moved and you know from one thing or another I started as a consultant and a contractor and doing programming jobs for uh, small and large companies in Silicon Valley and making a living. And gradually, we ended up uh, building a couple of companies that people acquired or, you know, were interested in. And that's that. That's how it happened. But it really wasn't a move to the U.S. as much as it was a move to Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> Can you tell us the story of how the camera phone was invented? How was that story, Philip? <laughs> well, that well, that's uh, you know, there's a there's a video you uh, I don't know if you saw that that was done that's very accurate and you might put, want to put a link. But besides that, um, you know, I um, I I thought that um, it was when the internet was about three or four years the, the web really not the internet but the web was three or four years old. Around 1997, it was in early 1997, actually, very early or late 1996, I thought that we had an opportunity to create something where we could instantly share pictures with a lot of people uh, because there was a new camera uh, by Casio that was the first really viable um, consumer camera that it, it made you know, 240 by 320 pixel pictures, which look silly by today's standards. But at the time, it was really quite extraordinary. And of course, people said, well, that's not as good as, a, as you know, a professional camera. But my idea was that the best camera is always the camera that you have with you all the time. It doesn't matter if you have this professional camera and it stays in a box at home, because you know, there, there, there's things to capture all the time. And really, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's completely unexpected. Of course, if you have a scripted event and, and, and you know what to do, that's fine. So I felt that, you know, we had the core of the technology to have a camera that could share instantly all the time. And early in, the, in that year, I started building a server at my house that could actually take a picture and send notifications to a list of people in an address book with the link back to that picture. And so that we could share things, which is exactly how Facebook and these people do it now. But at the time, you know, people weren't really doing it. This was really something new. And then I realized that in order for a, a, a camera to work anytime, anywhere, so we could 
do you know execute on that vision of point shoot and share instantly um i needed to be able to upload on the digital uh, on the wireless networks of the time that were digital in the us they were analog wireless network with analog phones i w- i needed to be able to move a picture from from that casio camera onto my server and then have the server do all the heavy lifting and share the picture. And so when when we got to the maternity with my 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 wife and partner, we uh I had the server running and what I needed to do is is, is get that camera and everything else to work if I wanted to share instantly pictures uh of of the birth of our daughter. And it turns out that you know I come from Europe and my wife comes from Korea. And so we have friends all over the world and we said, you know, this is going to be the great opportunity to instantly share that news in forms of pictures. And and so that's kind of how this will happen. I had done a lot of work before, but the the last, you know, the last piece, the last kilometer, the last little piece that makes it all work happened in the maternity where our daughter was born on um, June 11th, 1997. So the story is probably the story of a lot of husbands where, you know, for, uh, during the pregnancy, we all go to the classes, how to help in the birth, how to say, breathe, and uh, rub, the, rub the back and do all these things. And of course, the first thing that happened now, what's important to understand also is my wife is technical also, and we share a lot in that respect. And the maternity here where we live in Santa Cruz is a maternity. It's not a hospital. And so the rooms are large and they have a desk and they make it so that it's your birth is like going to a nice hotel as opposed to going to a hospital where there's a lot of sick people. So the the, the atmosphere was very conducive to to having a desk and be able to do some work. But my goal was not that one. My goal was when we got to the maternity <laughs> was, you know, to help my wife. And I think after two times that I told Sonia, breathe, uh, you know, okay. She said, you know what? Why don't you do your thing? Let me do my thing. <laughs> and that, that was the end of it, <laughs> of that part. And so I... Uh, I sat down at the desk. I said, okay, the best thing I can do now is try to make this whole camera, laptop, wireless phone work together so that I can wirelessly, instantly update pictures uh, onto the server that was in our kitchen uh, in, in back at home away from the maternity. And it turns out that Sonia's, um, Sonia's uh, labor lasted quite a bit, quite a it was actually eight, 18 hours long, which is very long. And for some reason, it gave me the opportunity to make it all work. And we were lucky that the the, the medical practitioner who helped deliver the baby was a fanatic of digital technology. He was actually more interested in what I was doing than it was Sonia was doing. And I kept on telling him, his name was Dr. Salve. I say, Salve pay attention to her. And he was going, well, why do you bring this wire? Salve, this is not your business. Go. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. <laughs> so basically the, the nurses did the work, uh, but uh, it was really an interesting, fun uh, process. And always like any birth, there are a bit of drama and uh, except, but there was something else going on. And of course, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, there are two things that were born that day. The most important one was our daughter, Sophie, who's 21 now. And then the, the camera phone, which, you know, uh, it, it, you, we, which, you know, we, we, we didn't realize the extent of the importance of it until people starting, started receiving pictures and sending messages back. Well, they didn't receive pictures, notifications, looking at the picture and leaving comments saying, how did you do that? I can see that you're, 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 you're delivering these messages in the real-time pictures, you know, how do you, and I said, well, this is how we do it. And people said, I want one. Then we realized that a lot of people wanted one. And then, you know, everything else became quite interesting because we started thinking about all the 
possibilities in telemedicine and citizen journalism, um, et cetera. We, we started thinking of all the applications and we go, wow, this is pretty cool. We need to get this to work and we get need to get this to a lot of people because a lot can be done with this. So you changed our lives in that moment. In that moment, our lives changed. Well, well you know, I like change too and uh, but it wasn't the mo you know it's always it's always there was a lot of work before it mm. that had to happen in order for all the services mm. because i had two we had two thousand people in our sonia and i in our in our um address book and so we needed to automatically one every time we posted a picture notify send an email basically to all these two thousand people <laughs> saying that we've posted something new and it and then you know link back because at the time there was very little bandwidth if we had sent pictures to two thousand people you could have gone bankrupt because mm. at the time you paid by the pixel but here we just sent a notification by email and people link back if they wanted and if they didn't want it they wouldn't and then they could see it in their browser it was uh it was a it was a really um you know it was clever for the time and and innovative and this is how uh this is how uh facebook pretty much works today or uh twitter and all that basically they sent you a notification and you basically link back did you understand how important this uh, invention was going to be when you thought about um, uh, sending pictures to others or sharing pictures? Did you, did you really understand how important it was going to be? You know, it's funny because I this was 1997 and, you know, the, the Cold War had not ended many years before. And I felt that the, the fax machine was a really, really important factor in ending the Cold War because with a fax machine... At the time, they couldn't stop information from disseminating, disseminating in the East Block, etc. And kind of, it was very difficult to control people if you didn't control the information. And I thought, personally, I thought that that would be one of the main things that the camera phone would do, which is there would always be someone taking a picture of something happening. And obviously, those things happen with there was a bunch of political events and other events and violence and stuff like that. I thought that that would be a, one of the big, big pieces of it as well as telemedicine. And it turned out that the, the biggest piece of it is Mrs. And Mr. Everyone sharing pictures all the time, all day long selfies and all that. Uh, and of course the first picture we took was a selfie because I was holding the camera on one end and, and holding the baby on the other end. And, uh, but I didn't realize that the selfies and the, which is really great, that, that the social side of Miss and Mr. Everyone was going to be the big thing. It wasn't just going to be telemedicine. It wasn't just going to be citizen journalism. It was going to be stuff for Miss and Mr. Everyone every day. It because of the Cold War was something I was thinking about that we could share information. I did not see that one coming. One thing I have to ask you about, uh, Philip, is that I just heard a uh, podcast with Elon Musk and uh, Joe Rogan. I do not know if you have heard this podcast with Elon Musk. It's uh, gotten a lot of attention for the wrong for the wrong reasons lately. Have you heard this uh, conversation with Elon? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I've heard Joe and, and Elon, and I've seen what they did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sadly, it got a lot of attention because of what they did and not what they talked about. What I'm uh, curious about, I wanted to ask you, is that Elon said that his mind is always uh, exploding with new ideas all the time. Is your uh, is your head working at the same, uh, or your mind working the same? Always getting new ideas. I, I hope not. I I, I um, what I mean by that is that you know Elon's great, but he uh, he's he, you know he's a bit the he's a Donald Trump of uh, of the high tech industry. You know he does crazy things. He tweets. He it's he's unpredictable uh, personally i hope i'm i'm uh, disciplined and and focused on technology and innovation uh making sure that i do right now elon does great stuff no question but you know what when, when he goes out with with joe and starts smoking a joint and doing like that that that's not what i do uh, what i was curious about is uh, how your mind works maybe in 
in, in talking about creativity because you are very creative and you have uh, in some ways changed our lives. So I was just curious about does your mind always seek create creativity to solve problems? You know, I, I think I'm. It, it's a very strange thing with me is I love technology for say and. Unlike um, many others who become managers and et cetera, I'm actually a technologist. I actually write code and build things myself every day. And so I, I'm really hands-on. Like when we do work on sleep with our sleep tracker technology, when we do work with Nike on digital sports, we um, – I get involved directly, especially with the AI part and all these other parts, because that's my passion. My passion is in the innovation, et cetera. So it's like, it's like someone having fun. That's how I have fun. Uh, and, and then I think ideas come from, from working with things and, you know, as opposed to, Let's think about the next great idea and how we're going to make money. It's more like, what can we do to help this and everyone's life be a bit better every day? Don't worry about the money part initially. Worry about about what it is that you can do to help make Miss and Mr. Everyone's life a little bit better if you can. And that's what I I, I tend to focus on, you know. Uh, uh, that's how we got into sleep because, you know, we we're really interested. We says, you know, everybody's focusing on, on drugs and, mm. you know, exercise, et cetera. But how about, how can we help Miss and Mr. Everyone sleep a little better? How can we, how can we use, uh, create technology that, um, that helps with all the new generation of sensors, especially sensor fusion, you know, what what's happening is that bef the big change and what the camera phone made possible was possible is because there were now some very small imaging sensors that were low powered that you can embed in a small device and that would use very little energy. So you could take pictures, take those pictures, transform them, transmit them, and share them. But without the little CMOS sensors at the time and uh it was. It would have been very difficult, but what's happened is that now we have this huge world of sensors. Where there are sensors for piezo, there are sensors for um, for light, there are sensors for distance, there are sensors uh, for motion, both linear motion and rotating motion. There are sensors for air quality. There are sensors for temperature, etc. That are very small and they can be embedded in a lot of devices. And the more sensors you put in, the more you need intelligence that's able to take the input from all these sensors and turn it into actionable uh, information. I mean, basically actionable insight, because telling you what the temperature is, the quality of the air is, what your heart rate is and all that, and giving you those numbers is useful. That's called a quantified self. But how are you going to turn that into actionable insights. And that's really what I think is, is, is really exciting right now, mm. is the world of sensors is exploding and turning that world through basically what people call AI and machine learning, the ability to, to use the infinite, pretty much infinite power, computing power that we have today to turn this massive amounts of machine data into actionable insight and uh, give you an example of that we've been able to pinpoint uh the we've been able to predict by just looking at sleep patterns if someone is uh, developing diabetes without ever measuring their blood glucose the same thing with 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 uh, blood pressure just using large data sets great models and machine learning that's able to create meaningful correlations how is that between, possible philip and and the well that that's exactly what what um, how we use ai and 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 that's really my passion at this point is 
is doing the it's that magic happens because I, because you can process so much information i give you an example let's say that you would want to look at you know diagnose pre-diabetes for example and and you know i'm not going to give you the exact details but this is the principle the principle is you have very large data sets we work of you know 500 million nights of sleep of which quite a big number are what's called labeled which is we know that some people have diabetes type 1 type 2 some people have prediabetes etc and then because we have so much computing power and we've built these great models we were able to take all that information and find the pattern that may be signposts for developing diabetes in people that are not diagnosed because we look at the patterns of their sleep and understand how close they are using the appropriate metrics to the ones that would probably are likely to be uh, developed in, in, in the progression of diabetes, for example. And that's... That's a fantastic new tool where you can actually predict or, or have chances. You, you're never sure, right? When, when you use, use these kind of tools, you say, okay, chances are, that, you know, 82.5% that within the next two years you will develop type 2 diabetes or something like that. And, but this is very much the future of, of, in my opinion, much better healthcare for Miss and Mr. Everyone, because we're not now diagnosing something once things have gone wrong. We're able to look for warning signals and try to tell people, hey, you have now those chances to develop that. Uh, if you so desire, you can do something about it. So everything is about pattern recognition, then, from, from what I understand. It's like pattern. Yeah, it's like image recognition. You know, mm -hmm. if you can recognize the image of a of uh, a Norwegian elk hund or something like that out of all bunch of dogs, uh, then we're looking for a pattern that's mm. similar out of a whole bunch of different variations. And if I'm really good at, I don't mix up a Norwegian elk hund with a Siberian husky, and I'm right 99% of the time, mm. I can do something similar uh, with the patterns of, for example, developing type 2 diabetes. Uh, what have you learned so far about sleep? And for, because you have been doing sleep uh, work for 10 years now, is that correct? We've been doing sleep for 10 years. Yeah. What, what we've learned, what we learned so far is that sleep is much more important than anyone even thought it was. That we're focused on the wrong things, you know, many times. That sleep is, I don't know if you know the English um expression is the low-hanging fruit oh yes <laughs> we basically is the fruit that's really easy to pick and improve for most people and it, it you know we we've learned by looking at millions of nights of sleep that simple things make a huge difference uh and 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 it's scientific it's not just you know if you don't eat two hours before going to bed if um, if you are spend the time to uh, quiet your mind down, if you can, by simple focus exercises, you, you you will have more deep sleep, which means that you'll generate more human growth hormones, which means that you will repair your body faster from the wear and tear that you. Uh, subjected your body out the day before. In fact, <laughs> you know, uh, that that might be one for Joe Rogan. What what I found out myself is that if I do a 10, 15-minute high-intensity workout in the middle of the night as I wake up to go to the bathroom and then go back in, I recoup so much faster. It's, it's probably the best, most efficient thing for me to to figure out. I mean, I actually read something recently that Cristiano Ronaldo, the, the, the football player, was doing something similar. He was actually sometimes working in the middle of the night, okay. working out, which is kind of interesting because I had no idea. But, you know, so you find little things like that, that 
that make a big difference. Now, does it apply to everyone? Probably not, because people are groggy. Mm. Uh, you know, you found out that, unfortunately, I hate to tell people, alcohol and marijuana and all that before sleep are just no good. You don't sleep better. You, you disrupt your sleep, and we can prove that. Now, if you like it, that's different. But if you're looking to have the best possible sleep experience, then you shouldn't. And and they're much better. Right. And now there's a there's a uh, we we've done some experiment, and now I'm going to get extreme a little bit. Mm, um, <laughs> what I found found is that there's a Danish gentleman called Wim Hof that yeah. he's that from, the, from Netherlands. Oh, is it from the Netherlands? Yeah. I thought it was Danish. And uh, trying to apply that to sleep, it's amazing how much more deep sleep and REM sleep you get. For example, if you do a, a, a ice uh, mm. bath immersion before going to bed. Mm. Now, a lot of people say it's going to wake me up. No, it's going to help you sleep deeper. Okay. Can, is that for Mrs. and Mr. Everyone? No, it's for a small group of people. But it's very interesting. From a sympathetic, the parasympathetic nervous system when they're doing these ice cold baths. And that's the must be the reason that you're sleeping better. Can that be correct? Yeah, well, I think that um, it, it, it all, there's a lot of things we don't know why. But mm. the nice thing about what we could do is, you know, in science, we try to, to, to let the data speak. The mm. data says, I'm not sure anybody understands why a very cold immersion will help you sleep better mm. and rebuild. Mm. But what I can tell you is we can measure it, mm. and the data shows that it works if you can do it. A lot of people can't do it because it's psychological. But I think it has to do a lot with hormone mechanism and triggering hormones and, and, and getting rid of inflammation. And mm. there's probably a lot, of, a lot of different reasons why it works. Does anyone understand exactly what it works? I'm not sure. I, I was reading about Wim Hof, and he was saying that uh, he believes his immune system is much stronger because of that, and that and they're injecting, <laughs> yeah, with injecting viruses or bacteria. And I could, I feel that because you know, and I knock on wood because that might not be true. I haven't got a flu shot ever, and I take a lot of bathroom, and I. And I I'm lucky I didn't, but I'm washing my hands a lot. But I, I do believe that Wim Hof is one of the greatest medical researchers uh, alive right now. I have not met him, but reading him, reading his books and following him, I think he has some amazing insights about what can be done. Now, what we find in, in, in sleep uh, studies is that the colder the, your room is uh, within limits, the better uh, the better your sleep cycles will be. In other words, sleeping in a in, in a warm environment is not good for you. Also, we find that if we cool down the bed during your your coming down into deep sleep, we actually are able to increase the duration of the deep sleep by twenty percent. Ooh, which, that much? Wow. Which is, so if you had of uh, say an hour of deep sleep, we could probably, with the right temperature modulation, get 10, 12 minutes more. Wow. Uh, most people, and that's big because yeah, that's big. deep that's sleep huge. is when you generate, <laughs> you know, uh, human growth hormone. And so, um, and of course, air quality is very important, you know. I mean, we always tell people uh, uh, air quality is so essential because. If you have two people sleeping with a closed window or without an air purifier in a small room, by the end of the night, the concentration of carbon dioxide, CO2, is huge. And they're breathing that. And that has a big impact on their whole system. So, uh, you know, people, so there are simple mechanisms that help and we can measure them. And that's the beauty of the world of sensors nowadays. We, there are excellent companies making uh, environmental sensors, air quality sensors, etc., that can be embedded in a lot of devices, which is really makes a huge difference. What I believe is that, you know, from an evolution, I'm an evolutionarist, and I believe that a lot of what we are, we are a product of evolution. And so um, it, it's difficult 
to conceive that early human beings would sleep in a completely dark environment, a complete quiet environment, alone. They, we, we used to sleep in a communal room. Uh, there were kids sleeping. There were people uh, making love. There was the saber-toothed tiger would be growling at the entrance of the cave, seeing if they could eat one of us. And there would be people standing watch uh, during while others were 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 sleeping, etc., and and our hormonal systems are designed for that. Now we've decided that at the beginning of the industrial revolution, that we had to put people in factories at eight a.m. at eight in the morning. Uh, they should have eaten a strong breakfast <laughs> so that they can they can they can work till one and lots of carbohydrates into next time yeah <laughs> that's right yeah. 30 minutes of, of of eating more carbohydrates uh more carbohydrate at lunch so that they can work till 6 p.m or so then go home and go to bed as soon as the light disappears because you want them strong to work in the factory the next day and that's that's the industrial revolution did us and And you know you see that in in China and the factories in China, it's that's exactly how they live. And the beginning of the industrial revolution, we, that's how we created three square meals a day. And and you've got to sleep for eight hours and then go to bed eight hours after you get up. Um, I don't think that that's what you do naturally. I think it's uh, if you look at the literature of the 18th, 19th century, uh, even Roman literature, etc. They talk about a first sleep, a second sleep. You used to sleep in shifts, and there would sometimes be one to three hours in between both. People would visit each other, and you know? there was a lot going on like that, and and that's perfectly acceptable. Now, if someone lives like that nowadays, um, it's very difficult for them to integrate into a company or a schedule of some sort, um, a, a social schedule. Or, or even not have a doctor say you're very sick, something's wrong with your sleep, you need to take all these drugs because if you don't sleep eight hours uninterrupted a day, and uh, then something's, something's wrong. wrong with you. <laughs> It's ludicrous. And I don't believe in that. And I, I think that's completely wrong. Mm. And, and, and I think the data shows that. The data shows that. Now, the worst thing you can do is disrupt a schedule. For example... If you went to bed at 2 a.m. every day of the week and got up, say, at 10 a.m., 10 in the morning or something like that, and then, uh, and then you decided on weekends to go to bed at 5 a.m. And, and get up at 2, that's when you disrupt your patterns. And disrupting the patterns is always what's most difficult. It's, it's like jet lag. So I think that we're... we're uh, It's, We're products, it's a pattern and a habit, and mm. it's very important to recognize that. Mm. And and if you're going to change your patterns, and some people want to change your pattern, then you got to do it in a smart way. Mm. Now, we use uh, uh, methodologies called um, behavioral um, um, co cognizant yep. um, science, which basically means that you're going to make very small changes incrementally to make bigger changes and one of the things that in the sleep in the sleep world uh cognitive behavioral science tends to prove is that people are always focused on what time they go to bed and it's much more important that's what the data shows to focus on getting up when you want to get up and then letting your body tell you when to go to bed and not making an exception of when you want to get up. And it takes about two weeks to get into the proper pattern. And it's very tough for the for two weeks. Uh, and once you have that, you can change your patterns. But changing your patterns other ways is much more difficult. And that's something that if you travel and you, you've experienced jet lag, you, you know, because, you know, ten, people tend to establish a similar pattern as they have at home in, in say, when they come from, Uh, Europe to America, or from America to Europe, or from America to China, or something. And it takes usually uh, at least one day per hour time difference to really adjust.
Yeah, because I read on LinkedIn that um, you are uh, not sleeping always like others, like uh, eight hours. So how is your sleeping pattern? Uh, how, how, um, how, how have you seen that uh, this has helped for you with this pattern? I don't use much coffee, maybe in the morning. And I try to listen to, to, to my body. And I've got a, I'm lucky to be able to pretty much function on my patterns. Um, and and do a lot of work uh, on my on my time, but um, I tend to really listen to what I do and try to have an established pattern. Uh, you know, uh, I, it, it's I try to take business meetings if I have to meet with people business, whether it's customers or it's it's our teams and all that. I try to do it after two p.m. so that I can do some real work in the morning or at night. Uh, because I don't function well if I go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, because I feel that it's not possible for me to be creative. And I think that, uh, if you're a professional manager and managing operations, sometimes you have to do that, but that's not what I do. I'm, uh, I, I, I work on being creative, uh, technology and, and always trying to listen for new new angles on things and, and ways, you know, when we deal with sensors, we're always figuring out how can we deal with sensors? You know, give you an example. A couple of days ago, we were meeting with a lady who does aromatherapy. You know, they have essences Mm -hmm. and you smell them and it triggers things. And to me, it looked like a lot of mumbo jumbo. and a lot of (laughs) So now I'm curious what you're going to say. (laughs) And I was like, Okay, how do you know that? You listen, you you smell this plant and this thing, and you put it in a sauna, and suddenly it's going to improve this and that. And I, she says, "Well, try it." I tried it. I say, "Well, you know, from frankly, placebo will do the same thing to me." I don't know. Maybe you're right. So now I'm trying to think about a way to see if we can measure measure something. And is there something to it? Is there is there a scientific reality behind that? Because if there is, that's great. But if there isn't, it's a pretty big industry that is basically uh, taking advantage of a lot of naive people. So it's really important to understand, you know, what happens. I mean, it's the same thing with the vitamin industry, you know, all these people taking all these supplements. And there's really no no scientific evidence that much of it works. And there's a lot of evidence that most of it you you, you ingest and uh, within three or four hours, you pee it out, hmm. and 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 people spend a lot of money on supplements. But but how is your sleeping pattern? Is it eight hours straight, or how are you? How's your sleeping pattern? No, I, I, I sleep in two shifts. I don't sleep eight hours sleep. My my uh, my partner, uh, my wife Sonia, she sleeps eight hours straight. I I will sleep two two and a half hours. Uh, get up for one and a half to max three hours, do work, work, and do a workout in this, and then get the rest of my sleep probably. Do you find yourself being very creative in the middle of the night on your, between the shifts? It's the best for mm, me. Yeah. Six, uh, Same here. Six, uh, oh. <laughs> Extremely creative uh, in that, mo- in that uh, in those hours. And and that's very important in what you do and what what I do, and so the, I I end up sleeping a t- total of real sleep, not in the bedroom, but six and a half hours. So I get six and a half hours total sleep, which is what works for me. Sometimes I get less, a little as four and a half, but usually six and a half. I don't get much more than six total sleep, but it's real sleep, measured sleep. Uh, but I spend much more time from the moment I I get into our our bedroom area, I call it, because in that area now I have a, uh, I have a walking desk, a desk with a, you know, that with a treadmill. I, walk <laughs> while I have another desk. I have weights and I have a pull-up bar and uh, wow. uh, I have, a, I have a shower. I'll take a cold shower. I'll do that. And then I'll go back to bed. I have my, that whole environment. So if people looking at it, it says, Oh, he spends eight, 10 hours. Uh, in that area, yes, I do. Like I am in it right now, but I'm not sleeping. Uh, I, you know, I'm on the phone with you or something else. Then I'll go work out and I'll do something else. But 
that that's part of my pattern and that's i'm very productive that way and and some of the best ideas and the best execution comes that way as mm. you experience that it's the quiet of the night but you know we're not alone it's pretty smart people like einstein uh, uh isaac newton mozart and all these guys did their best work at night so uh, that's the shift and mm. there's nothing wrong. It works. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It works. But one thing I'm curious about, uh, that, uh, maybe you can help me explain is that, for example, if I do not wake up by myself in the middle of the night, but somebody's waking me up, uh, what's the reason I feel so groggy then? What's the reason? I, I presume it's because that, uh, it's, uh, Maybe it's because I'm in the middle of a REM sleep or something. If I'm some somebody's waking up, I'm not creative. But it's, uh, if I wake up by myself in the middle of the night, I'm creative. So, uh, what's the data showing there, Philip? The, the data shows that if you if you if you look at the patterns over time of people, when you fall asleep, you look at your breathing rate, your heart rate, etc. As an example you're breathing it you see them very rapidly come down if you're healthy let not if you're just caught the flu or cold or something but if you're normal healthy um you'll see coming down and then is very it's pretty happy it recharges it, it looks like a big recharge in the curve and then it's very happy to come up so when it comes up at the end of a sleep cycle like that maybe after two sleep cycles, complete sleep cycles, an hour and a half or maybe three, and 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 you just wake up, you're waking up at the end of the sleep cycle, and sleep cycles are associated with hormonal activity, and so you wake up and it's very natural and you don't feel groggy, you feel up, uh, because once you wake up, if like, for example, there's a siren uh, screaming down your street in the middle of the night and it wakes you up not in a, at the end of a sleep cycle but in the middle of a sleep cycle like deep sleep or something like that then the hormonal activity is such that you know hormones gets released then a new hormone comes up there's a cleanup process that all those hormones etc if you don't go right back to sleep uh, need to be cleaned up and so you feel groggy and it's not a natural thing and this is why it's so important if you're going to sleep in patterns that that, that happens naturally uh, in, in shifts. Because if you force yourself to get up, then it's much more difficult. And and it's it's probably your your genetic makeup is probably not doesn't predispose that because we probably from an evolutionary standpoint. And I don't know that I you know that's a Maybe 20 years from now, we'll know that for sure. But we don't all come from, you know, some of our ancestors were more agricultural. Some of our ancestors were hunters. Some of our ancestors, and, and, and we live differently. You know, if our ancestors were hunters, uh, on full moon nights, they were hunting. They weren't sleeping uh, eight hours because that's when it was best to, to, to hunt. And, of course, we lost our night vision. We lost all that, but... You know, I don't know any animals who hunt at noon in most latitude. That's not that doesn't happen, you know. And so, uh, so we all come from because of genetics and epigenetics that that condition us, and we're a product of that. But we're not conscious of it. We're we're not sure. But you know, you, you I like I do genetic testing. Uh, you know, for for which uh, company like Twenty Three and Me? Well, you find out you're lactose intolerant. You probably aren't because the people who are not lactose intolerant are the Nordic people. But I'm totally lactose intolerant, and I love milk. I love cheese. So my body wasn't telling me to stop eating that. But the moment I stopped eating that, wow, it was great, and it's can be fine in my genetics. But if you don't know it, you don't know it. And the same thing, I think we're going to find out. I think Stanford has identified a, a, a gene that's a signpost of a genetic marker that is a signpost of being a night owl, someone who functions well at night, like you and I, or a morning lark, which is the people who function the best by waking up at 5 a.m. and 
and going, uh, working out at the gym at 6 a.m., et cetera, and, and wanting to go to bed at 8.30 p.m. because they're, they've had a full day, right? And so uh, there is a genetic marker for that, and it's really interesting because, you know, it turns out that according to if 23andMe has a universe of users, they have about 5 million, I think, that is representative of all of us, which is not clear. But among that sample set, uh, about 25% have that genetic marker. Uh, so that means that 25% of the people function better, probably, in sleeping in two shifts. I presume that you're having a product since that uh, you're uh, having a lot of people that you can see how they are sleeping. So I'm... I'm I'm curious, is there a product that I can buy that uh, I can uh, see oh, how my I sleeping see. pattern is? Uh, well, I'll send you one. Um, we don't sell anything ourselves, really, but we have customers, partners in the sleep industry, in the mattress industry that do, and um, uh, they're going to launch things in a, in, a, in a much bigger way soon. It's been a little bit the radar but um i'll be happy to if you if you send me your coordinates i'll be happy to send you one yes please uh, and uh and 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 you know uh i think you'll be you'll you'll, you'll be interested you don't need to change your bed you don't need to change anything mm. it's a couple of sensors that go under your mattress okay it's called sleep tracker okay so a couple of sensors that go under your mattress you plug it in and basically the sensors Completely non-invasively and non-intrusively, the sensors monitor your sleep, um, and the AI that's in the cloud uh, uh, basically turns that information into actionable insights where you can see how much REM sleep you're getting, how much thing, what the trends are, etc., and look at what you know how you're recharging through the night, and hopefully get you some insight as to how you can have a better night's sleep. Very interesting. And the last question, Philip, is that I presume that you have uh, made some money, at least, from all your inventions. But from this conversation, it sounds like uh, you're living from the creativity and not the money. I hope so. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a money person. I'm a, I'm a technology person. I, that's what I care about, you know. I always tell people, wealth is not is not defined by what you have; is defined by how little you need. Mm. And you know, uh, you know, I have four kids, and you know, my 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 main duty is to make sure that they 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 live if if they can, they have that luxury for a passion, and that they you know, of course, it's important to have enough money to be able to. To, to live properly and raise your kids and yourself uh, go skiing if you want to go skiing or something like that. But, uh, you know, being on the, the, the list of the wealthiest people, and uh, that's absolutely of zero interest to me. Uh, what's of interest to me is that, you know, I want to do things uh, that I'm passionate about until my last breath because life is interesting. It's, uh, <laughs> everything's interesting and, and and I think that that uh, I don't miss any other stuff. And, and you know, I hope that you know we live, unfortunately, in a in a time where you know where we have uh, the present administration in the U.S. is is very focused on gold and glitter and stuff like that. But uh, to me, that's the wrong direction. I think the right direction is is, is to be. You know, we have a planet. There's not a planet B. There's only a planet A. We need to make sure that it lives, that it's there uh, five generations away. And we have to make sure that that we innovate with the tools that we have so we can make uh, Miss and Mr. Everyone's life a little better uh, every day if we can. Uh, I said it was, that was the last question. I just one, one more. Uh, have your mindset changed from being an immigrant from France with not that much money into what to where you are today with uh, hopefully a larger bank account? Have anything changed in your mindset? You think? You know, uh, it's interesting that you asked that question. 
we we have a foundation. We give a lot of money away. Uh, we don't give it away. We actually hope that they use it in a proper way. We work on a lot of environmental causes and wow. helping uh, What's the foundation? Uh, do, do a lot of things. The foundation is called the Lee Khan Foundation and Lee-Khan, K-H-N, uh, .org. And we, we do a lot of that. That's important to us and helping helping things that we care about. A lot of it is in education and uh, social justice in, in many ways. Mm. But, but really helping people, uh, you know, uh, we were, <laughs> it's a bit controversial, but we, we were and are very active in reintroducing predators like wolves and in North America and, 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 and fighting the people who don't want that, et cetera, because, you know, trying to balance the ecosystem and try to make it sustainable and, and doing things like that. Hmm. But we do that. And, and, and yeah, we're, of course we're comfortable. We, if I always tell people, we don't need to work. We, we work because we're passionate about it. Yeah. And, and, and that's 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 a luxury that we have. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, money is not a bad thing. I think I think people can use it very badly as a bad example. I always tell people, if your goal is to make money, go buy a printing press, put it in your basement and go and print some banknotes, fake banknotes. That'll work. Or go rob a bank. But but I think I think you have to contribute something to get something back. Of course, it's easier to say. It's easy to say in a certain position. I understand that, uh, but in general, I think people who try to contribute something, either with technology or the arts or something, uh, they they end up getting at least. That's a nice thing about North America. They get some rewards from it, and I think that's that's a good role model. And now, to be fair, I don't think the present administration in the U.S. is. I think they're a terrible role model, hmm. and and I think that that that's not good. But hopefully, you know, all these things change, and and over time, you know, people, you know, I, I believe that people will do the right thing, and that we'll get back to some more sensitive public policies. I just read the the book by James Comey, the former FBI director. Uh, have you heard about him? No, I haven't. Uh, James Comey was the FBI director that uh, got fired on the Twitter a little while back. Yeah, yeah. Remember him? Yeah, no, yeah, no. I understand. He, yeah. he's a, he was a smart guy, but I haven't read the book. I I, I read the book, and uh, when I, when I read it, I saw that uh, there are a lot of people in the administration that are trying to do good, but uh, maybe it's hard. <laughs> so hopefully, it can change in the future. <laughs> but it was it was a incredibly it, good book. It, 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 it will, it will. I mean, Comey. I've I've seen interviews of him. He seemed to be a pretty straight guy, and mm. and and caring about doing the right thing. And you know, you have to be positive, and and optimistic about human nature. Yes, there's a lot of evil, but hopefully, there's a little bit more good than evil, and mm. uh, good will triumph. At least that's what I believe in. Are you uh, sorry for dragging this out? I'm soon finished. I'm just curious. Are you reading books a lot uh, in your spare time, I read, Philip? I read, I read books, but uh, you know, I have a very eclectic uh, way. I don't read much fiction a little bit when when there's a good fiction book, but I read a lot of technology book. I mean, I I read a lot of te- books about uh I would say, you know, I at least thesis about AI. I read, uh, uh, I, I read a lot of. I'm I'm really focused on technology, biology, uh, um, actually uh, things like music. I'm very interested in music theory and stuff like that. And so, uh, the oh, please, <laughs> the last, please uh, elaborate if you can. What music? Yeah, please elaborate. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm the. I, I'm very interested in, you know, the last musical book I read is, is, is kind of very technical. It's a, something called the Lydium Chromatic Concept by a, a gentleman called George Russell. And actually, it's funny that you ask that question because I think uh, there's a Norwegian musician that I actually like that applies a lot of things to, a lot of that to his music that I can tell. Okay. And that's a Norwegian saxophonist called Jan Garbark. Yeah, yeah. He's okay. a jazz guy, so yeah. it's not a yeah, sure. and so uh, I'm interested in that because 
because that's another form of sensing uh, where, you know, people talk about audio sensing and they talk about, you know, a lot of the music world is, is powered by people who want to make money at having people listening to music all the time with headphones and isolate them and charge them a subscription and do that. It's, it's a huge business, but there's much more to music than that. What we find is people, people improve their sleep. Uh, people improve their sleep by, um, by the music that they, they, they could listen or not listen to before, during, sleep, etc. And what are those qualities and how does that interact with the human uh, system? Because it has obviously a, an impact on hormones, etc. It's a subconscious way of doing it. People who meditate know that because they have meditation music. And, you know, I always tell people that uh, sleep is uh, unconscious meditation and meditation is conscious sleep. And that you can do a lot. So I'm very interested by the musical side and trying to understand how that functions. Mm. And of course, there's a scientific premise to that, which is the, the, the series of natural harmonics. And, and, and that's a bit what that book is, is about, is, is about how the scales and the sequence of natural harmonic, uh, has a more natural way of, of 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 sounding good than your typical major scale as 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 presented on the white keys of a piano, uh, so uh, it's a, very, a little technical what I'm saying, but I'm very interested in that aspect because there is something there. I'm not sure what it is, and I'm very curious to find out what it is. Uh, I just heard on the podcast the other day uh, that was a gentleman from uh, from the U.S. that uh, was trying to solve big problems. And uh, he tried to uh, try to make um, uh, people that were deaf uh, listen to music. So they invented some kind of um, some kind of uh, things that could give vib- vibrations. So they, when they were giving the vibrations in the legs, I think, and in the ankle and behind the ear, I think it was that that uh, person can then hear music because of the different vibrations in some way. It was very bad explained, <laughs> but it was a very interesting episode. <laughs> no, that's very, that's very, that's very interesting. Absolutely. We, we are at the beginning of a lot of things that we understand. I know I can tell by my dogs, depending on what kind of music I put on. I mean, I, I can measure exactly objectively. Uh, you know, I have two dogs and, I can measure objectively what it does to their heart rate and all that. And I, I, I love my dog, so don't get me wrong. I don't experiment, on it. but I can see it right away. Uh, I, I've got, I've got four kids. I got four kids, and you know, some of them may listen to, to the kind of stuff I wouldn't listen, and and I can, I can measure it, and I show them. They say, "Oh my God, that's not good for the dog." I say, "Yeah, that's right." Uh, so it's probably not good for you either, uh, but that's that's different. Uh, that's a matter of taste and choice, but it, it, there is a therapeutic side to that that needs to be explored, and 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 so that's part of the whole sensing part, environmental sensing, you know, air quality, air temperature, uh, the vibration of the air. That's what we call music, and how you know the the microphones and all that, and how can we use all that information to actually help develop better therapies or or better ways for people to to sleep and, and, and be productive and optimize their performance during the day and during the night. It's uh, it's extremely interesting, Philip, and thank you for taking this uh, a lot of time in your in your busy day. So a lot thanks again for for sharing your knowledge and story with Norwegian public. So uh, Oh my pleasure and uh and uh and uh thanks for having us and Always great to have an interesting discussion like that. It was uh, it was extremely interesting, and uh, it started me to think. And uh, now I'm uh, curious about music and, and how that can, uh, yeah, and how we are interactive with the music. So, uh, yeah, you, you sent me on a, on a way now. I'm different on something I'm curious about. <laughs> so thank you, Philip, and 
and wish a, a great a great night. I think it's it's a night for you now. It's it's sleeping time, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's a midnight here, yeah. but that's good. Have a great beautiful sleep night you. here. I I can see Jupiter, Mars, Ooh. Jupiter and Mars in the sky right now. So wow. We have a two planets at sunset. We can see we can see right now Venus, Jupiter, and Mars right now. Uh, you probably probably you too. I bet that at, at sunset you could see Venus uh, close to the sun. Then try try next sunset if you have a chance yeah, tonight. I'll do that. Uh, when the dust comes out, the first lights that come in before the stars are those three planets. Uh, I bet that in Norway you would see it. What's your latitude there? About your your you're you're about what 20 20 29 30 degrees latitude i never thought about it philip (laughs) uh but you uh oh well i look at the stars a lot so uh and the planets so take a look tonight when dusk you you can probably you go to google you can google uh planets uh, 59 at dusk and you'll, you'll see the three and the first three lights that come up before the other stars are three planets, and they're they're spectacular right now. I for sure going to do that, Philip. Oh, now I'm not going to check out the music and the stars. <laughs> Thank you a lot, Philip. All right. Have a nice day. Have a Bye-bye great now. night. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.